Father, uh, today as we get into your word, I do pray that, that Lord, God, we would be able to, we'd be able to hear you. I believe this is one of the, quote, harshest places in scripture that, uh, that we go through, and, and yet, Lord, it's necessary. God, it's you calling out the false teachers, the people who are just stuck in a religion, and Lord, I pray that, God, if any of us are in that place, that, Lord, you would speak to our hearts today, that if any of us are maybe drifting towards some kind of, some kind of false teaching or, or some false teacher, that, God, you would speak to our hearts today. As we go through this, we can almost hear your heart breaking as you confront, Lord, the, those who are, who are bottom line, who are against you and everything you stand for. So I pray that, Lord, we would leave here today encouraged. God, we would leave here maybe, maybe even challenged in some ways in our faith that we would be determined to know you and determined to love you. So God, I ask that you bless this time, that you be glorified in it, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen to these words. Hypocrites, blind guides, fools and blind, serpents, brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs, sons of hell, robbers, self-indulgent, full of hypocrisy and lawlessness, and murderers of God's people. Those are some pretty, those are some pretty strong words. And, and listen, those are words that Jesus spoke to a group of people. And, you know, when I hear those words, when you just kind of take them out and you just say them, it sounds pretty intense. And I believe this was the most intense that Jesus ever got with those who, uh, were false teachers, those who were standing for things that he didn't stand for. And we have to remember the context that there's, hey, there's a huge crowd around him. This wasn't done, this wasn't done in some corner. There's a huge crowd. Remember, he's just talked to the multitudes and told the multitudes to stay away from these guys. And now he's taken the opportunity to address these guys and tell them exactly what he feels about them but here's the important thing. He doesn't just leave it there. When we get to the end, we're going to find out, man, Jesus cares about them. And it's not that he just wants to come against them. He wants them to change. He wants to see a change in their hearts, a change in their lives, and a change in their ministry. And how else will somebody change if we don't confront them? So remember, Jesus has just talked to the, uh, uh, to the disciples and to the multitude and then we get to verse 13, and I kind of look at it this way. He's talking to this crowd, and then at verse 13, I kind of envision he turns, and he looks at that group that's kind of in their little holy huddle, and then he begins to speak directly to them. And 13, he says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, 
And for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. So listen, man, Jesus is looking at them, and he's letting them know, man, they're like the opposite of everything he's doing and everything he stands for. An interesting thing, if we go through, I, I count eight woes. Some people only count seven, and, and, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But if we go through these woes, do you know what they parallel or kind of contrast to the Beatitudes. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here, these guys are the exact opposite of being poor in spirit, and they're arrogant, and they think they got it, and they think they, hey, they think they can earn their way. They think they're in because of what they've done and who they are, and he says, man, here's the worst thing, is you're shutting up heaven from others, and I think that's the thing. If you're, you know, if you're in love with Jesus and you're in love with God's word, I don't think there's anything as painful as those who are false teachers and putting burdens on people and telling and you know, technically shutting the door to heaven to others. And Jesus says, man, listen, woe to you guys. When he's saying woe, it's not like he's groaning. It's like he's saying, man, it is bad. And then for him, we're going to see seven times he calls them or six times he calls them hypocrites. So he lets them know exactly where he's at. And he tells these guys, man, listen, you're shutting up heaven. And here's the thing you and I need to ask ourselves. In our ministry and in our lives, are we stepping stones for those to come to Christ? Or are we stumbling blocks? Because we're going to be one or the other. We're either going to be those who are going to influence people for good and influence people to know the Lord or grow in the Lord, or we're going to be in the way like these guys and shut up heaven against them. So then verse 14, now if you have the New American Standard, it's bracketed. If you have the NIV, the ESV, one of those, verse 14 is not even there. And verse 14, there's a big controversy, and it kind of cracks me up. Like, I appreciate I appreciate what's called higher criticism or textual criticism. When they begin to look at things and they want to compare them and make sure that we have an accurate translation and accuracy is from what's, uh, what's written down. But sometimes it gets a little like, ugh. The whole thing is verse 14 in some of the older manuscripts is not there. And so they came to the conclusion that because of the newer manuscripts that somebody kind of just messed up and added for verse 14. Now, I don't know how you mess up and add a whole verse, but that's kind of the conclusion they came to. And so a lot of, I said, like I said, a lot of them left it out, but here's the crazy thing. In Luke chapter 11 and Mark chapter uh, 7 or 8 or 9 or 10, just read Mark, this exact thing is there. So it's not like Jesus never said this. So I'm thinking, what's the big deal? Like, why do you freak out over it? And I know some of you now are gone off on some bunny trail and you're thinking about those things. Come back, come back. Because I'm gonna, and here's the thing. Most of the commentaries I read said, since the textual critics believe it's not there, I'm not even gonna mention anything about it. And I'm going, what? You're no help to me, right? So I'm gonna talk about it. I'm not gonna ignore it because I, I believe it belongs there because it's spoken of in the other synoptic gospels and I think it fits. So we're gonna do 14 like it's there. If it's not there in your Bible, just listen. In verse 14, he says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers, therefore you will receive a greater condemnation. Now, to me, verse 14 is one of the heaviest that he talks about because of what they're doing. Number one, they're ripping off the poorest of the poor. And that's horrible. I mean, every time, every time well, I haven't done it in years because it's expensive for me to watch uh, Christian TV because I watch those evangelists and then I throw something through my TV and, and I have to get a new TV. But nothing grieves me more than when I hear these people say, send me your last dollar, send me, you know, just send it to me and I will multiply it. And I'm thinking, you're lying and you're ripping somebody off and I don't like you. So I throw something at my TV. So therefore I don't watch. But listen, man, these guys, that's what these guys were doing and Jesus says, woe to you. Oh, hey, Matthew chapter five, uh, verse four says this. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. These guys are doing the opposite. And they're coming in when people are mourning and the most vulnerable, they're taking advantage of them. You know, one thing I've learned in life is, hey, when you're in the middle of kind of a crisis, and I think especially if you've lost somebody and, and you're trying to work through that, that's the worst time in the world to make major decisions, and especially financial decisions. And these guys would come in, listen to what the Pharisees would do. This is gonna blow your mind. It's, here's what they would do. When a man died, the Pharisees would show up on the doorstep and they would say this to the widows. If you really want to honor your husband's memory, make a donation to our ministry. Wow. That's disgusting, isn't it? Aren't you amazed that Jesus did, didn't just melt these guys? Like, I don't, think, I don't think I would have a conversation with them. I would just, like, pick out two or three and just melt them. And then tell everybody else, repent. Right? I mean, that, that would be pretty effective, I think, if you did that. But also, these guys are the guys who, they make lengthy prayers. Now, there's nothing wrong if you're a long prayer. That's okay. But if you're a long prayer so everybody hears your prayer and knows you're a long prayer, then you get in trouble. I, I had a good friend. Man, he used to pray, and he used to go on and on and on. I, I was praying with him one time, and I, I did this. Stop. And he said, excuse me? I said, Stop. I had like, we have been here like eight and a half hours. Stop, just stop. And I didn't feel bad because he was real honest with people. We were at another prayer meeting and someone was praying really loud and he went over to him and he went to him and he goes, brother, God is not deaf. And I thought, <laughs> that's kind of rude. Why would you say that to somebody? So I didn't feel bad about saying to him, stop. And you know what really bothers me? This is a little bit transparent, some of you may get uptight. When I sit down to eat, I believe we should say grace. But it's not a time to have your daily quiet time. I mean, I sit with some people and they go through a whole prayer list. And I'm, I wanna eat. I wanna eat now. This is not a time, did you, and sometimes I've interrupted people. Did you not have quiet time this morning? Because obviously we're gonna do it right now. So, you know, why don't you do it and have quiet time. Jesus says, listen, these guys are, but these guys are all for pretense. And then did you notice he said their condemnation is greater? Once again, if you listen to what Jesus says about hell, we gotta come to the conclusion there's different degrees of punishment for different things. Now, not that any of it's any good. You know, you might, the, the lesser of the less of the less 
still is not something you're going to want to go through. It's not like, oh, good, I got the little bit, because it's still going to be the worst thing in the world. But there are degrees. And he says, hey, man, you guys, you guys are going to receive greater condemnation. That's kind of scary. So again, verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as you yourselves are. Now again, that's pretty intense, isn't it? Hey, Matthew chapter five, verse five said, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. These guys are aggressive. Have you ever ran into aggressive people? Especially, I think, of cults. And some of the cults get real aggressive. Even some people within, quote, Christian circles get real aggressive when they're witnessing. I've been around some, and I've seen some people pray, quote, the sinner's prayer just to shut the person up. There's no heart in it. There's nothing in it. But it's just they get so in their face, and they're thinking, I have to do this. Before I got saved, I was up in Phoenix at a, at a, at a, 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 a street fair, and uh, we were there with some, uh, some of our stuff, and, and uh, we were there with the lady who actually led my wife to the Lord. And we're, we're hanging out, and I'm sitting on the curb just watching people, and this guy comes over and aggressively started sharing the Lord with me, sort of. And I looked at him, and I said, not interested. I was pretty blunt. I know that shocks most of you. <laughs> but I just said, hey, I'm not interested, and leave me alone. And he just kept going. And he kept talking. And he sat down next to me. And he's like, so I turned my back on him. And he just kept going. I said, would you just leave me alone? Stop. And here's what he said. Do you think I want to be here? I don't want to do this, but I have to do this. Because if I don't do this, I won't go to heaven. And he starts giving me this big sob story, which kind of made me feel bad for him. But I still said, just leave me alone, just go. And by then, I'm kind of irritated, he's a little irritated, and he finally leaves, and the lady that, that had led my wife to the Lord watched the whole thing go on. And man, you talk about redeeming, you talk about bringing beauty for ashes, like that, like that tanked. And she walked over and she says, hey Pat, that was, a little, that was a little gross, huh? And I said, yeah, it was very gross. And she goes, but isn't it interesting that out of all of these people, that guy picked you to talk to? I went, oh. <laughs> hey, these guys will go travel land and sea to make proselytes and to win them over to their system, not to, not to listen, not to Jesus, to their system. And he says, hey, he goes, man, you make them twice as much sons of hell as you are. You ruin, you train wreck, you shipwreck some people's faith. You train wreck other people's lives, and that's what you're doing. Now, he gets into their whole idea when they, start, when they started with all their vows and stuff they did in verse 16. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is uh, obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, which is greater, the gift 
or the altar that sanctifies the gift. Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears by it and all things on it, and he who swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it, and he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and him who sits on it. Here's what Jesus now. I don't know about you guys, but I read this, and, and you almost see through this one, don't you? I mean, I mean, you read it, and if somebody came to me and said, hey, if you swear by the altar, it doesn't count, but if you swear by the gift, on the altar it does that would make me scratch my head I mean the whole time I'd be going well that doesn't make sense because the altar is the thing that makes the gift what the gift is right well well Jesus is saying that and then in Matthew 5 6 it says blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied here's what's going on with these guys they change the rules and see they make a set of rules that that fit into their lifestyle and what they want to do. And if they want to break a vow, they say, well, I just swore by the temple and the temple doesn't count. I don't have to keep that one. But if I swear by the gold on the temple, then that really matters. Really? It makes no sense. Remember Jesus talked about taking vows? And I think it was Matthew 6, not Matthew 5. And he said, you and I shouldn't take vows. Now listen, he's not forbidding us to take vows. I know some Christians say, well, you know, I would never put my hand on the Bible and swear to tell the truth. And I'm going, that's not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was saying we should live in such a way that our yes is yes and our no is no. Used to be that way, huh? Used to be if somebody said something to you, you could take them at their word and go for it. Now, man, if you purchase anything, you got to sign like 80-page contracts, you know? Hey, you buy some food at Fry's. Would you sign this contract, sir? Because, you know, I mean, it drives me crazy. Nobody's yes is yes. Nobody's no is no anymore. It's all this. And these guys were, these, here's what these guys were doing. They were giving people a way out. And remember, they even came up with that whole thing, Corban. Remember Jesus talking about that? Hey, if you want to, if your parents, if you, they wanted you to take care of them or you need to take care of your parents, if you take that and make it Corban, dedicate it to God, you don't have to help out your parents. So same thing here, man. They're, listen, they're trying to find a way around keeping their word and doing what they're supposed to say. So they lay that out and Jesus said, hey, if you swear by the altar, it's the same as swearing by the things on the altar. If you swear by the temple, it's the same as swearing by him who is in the temple. And he's talking about swearing, you know, and taking an oath before God, and the same by the throne of God. I, I believe, listen, I believe it's good. Every marriage I do, people are taking an oath before God to honor their marriage vows. And so there's nothing wrong. So Jesus is saying, that's what you do. Then in verse 23, he says, woe to you scribes and, hip, uh, uh, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. So listen, Jesus is letting these guys, these guys are like, again, they major on the minors and forget the majors. And they were so intense about making sure they were, quote, right standing before God, they would tithe their herbs. Who does that? Hopefully you don't. Like, don't be shoving a bunch of plants in the agape boxes and saying, hey, man, we brought our tithe today. 
You know, hey, but these guys were meticulous about that. But what does he say they missed? Did you pick up what they missed? What did they miss? Hey, they were good at that, but they missed justice, mercy, and faith. Again, Matthew chapter five, verse seven, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so Jesus is letting them know, man, hey, and here's the thing, he didn't chasten them for tithing their mint and cumin and anise, but he says, hey, you should, that's fine, you should do that, but you shouldn't have left the other undone, and you left the other undone. In Malachi, in, in, uh, Malachi I didn't put this one up, but it, I'm sorry, in Micah chapter six, a lot of us know this one. There was a song with this one. Uh, it, well, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before your God. That's what they were supposed to do, and yet they got so into this thing, and he's saying, man, you strain out a that. Do you know that the Pharisees would pour their drink and wine through like a, a straining cloth to make sure there weren't any bugs in it, weren't any insects, because insects were unclean? And he said, and yet you eat a whole stinking camel. Like you are careful about this little thing and, in the, and you know, again, just use an analogy, you're eating a camel, by the way, according to Leviticus, the camel was the largest unclean animal. So you're chomping down on that while you're straining out this other thing. You know anybody like that? Hey man, sometimes we get to majoring on the minors and it kills, listen, it kills what the spirit of God is doing in a ministry. When I hear people start, I'm thinking, why are you doing that? Hey, why aren't we standing up for what's right? And you know, the minors, who cares? Who cares how somebody dresses when they come to church? Again, within modesty, I think you know my heart. But who cares? Who cares what color the carpet is? Who cares what color the walls are? And you play rock music? Yeah. Oh, the evils of rock. And people get all uptight. And all of that doesn't matter. And people who are uptight about that, you try and talk to them about the blood of Jesus and they just they don't even care. That's not important. Yes, it is. Hey, we need to major on the major. So he gets on them for that. And then he tells them in verse 25, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside they're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish that the outside of them may be clean also. Man, how many of you ever wash your dishes and don't wash the inside? You know, every time I read that, I think, and when I read this, I think, at the house, man, I, I, I usually wash the dishes. And I think, man, if I wash the dishes and, and I just like wash the outside and left the gunk on the inside, I would be in trouble. I mean, that's just gross to think about, right? And so I'm, I'm not sure these guys were actually doing that, but that's what they were doing with their lives. And you and I need to know something. Sometimes we try and clean people up when, to come to Jesus. We wanna make them okay and acceptable to Jesus. What we need to know is the only way they're gonna be okay and acceptable to Jesus is for Jesus to change them from the inside out. We don't need to clean. When you go fishing, do you jump and dive and, and deep dive and get the fish and clean it all up and then come back in and throw your hook in and catch a clean fish? No, you bring the fish in and clean it up, right? 
Let Jesus clean the people up. But these guys, man, listen, these guys were, these guys were gross and they had all of this pretense going on. Matthew 5, 8 says this. It says, uh, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. These guys aren't pure in heart. They're running a scam and they're trying to look good and they're trying to make themselves look good. D.L. Moody said this, listen to this, talking about how we uh, present ourselves to others. If I take care of my character, my reputation will take care of itself. Hmm, pretty good, huh? So Jesus busts him, oh, and he's gonna go a little bit deeper. Listen what he says, woe to you in verse 27, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, now listen, at this point, it's got to be getting a little sketchy on that temple, right? Can't, don't you think those guys are like kind of gritting their teeth and, and they're thinking, man, this guy is like, this guy is pushing it way too. When he says something like that, now you need to know, remember what time of the year this is all taking place during Passover. In Jerusalem at Passover, they would whitewash all the tombs. And they weren't doing that to show respect. They would whitewash the tombs. Why? Because all of these pilgrims would come in to celebrate Passover. We've talked about that, right? The this, this the city. The city would swell to like 10 times its normal size. And all of these people are coming to celebrate Passover. If you touched a tomb, a grave, you would be unclean and you couldn't celebrate Passover. That would be a drag, right? Maybe you traveled for weeks. Maybe it's your one and only time you could really do Passover in Jerusalem and you got all the way there and you touched something like that and it would make you unclean. So they would whitewash them all so they would be marked out so people would know to avoid them and not touch them. But that, that didn't clean them up on the inside is what Jesus is saying. They're still full of dead man's uh, bones and they will still contaminate anybody who touches them. Now here's what he says to the Pharisees. That's who you are. And you're going along contaminating all of these people with your lies and your false teaching. And he lets them know, man, hey, you look good on the outside, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's intense, isn't it? And then and again in, in, uh, in uh, 5.9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now in 29, we have the last of the woes. This is number eight if you're counting. Number seven if you don't count 14. The last says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and ordain the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the, in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your, of your uh, father's sin or guilt, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Wow. Now, listen, now he kind of, he got into a whole idea of, hey, they, they killed 
the ones who came to warn them. And talks about it and he says, hey, your, your fathers did that. You approved of it by decorating the tombs, by building the monuments, by doing those things. Even though you say you wouldn't have done it, you would have. And then listen, he gets to the point and did you hear him say, fill up, fill up right now the guilt of your fathers. Here's what he's saying. Jesus knows these guys want to kill him. We know they want to kill him. We've already read that. Twice they said they're looking for a way to kill him, but they're afraid of the crowd. He knows they want to kill him. We know they want to kill him. They know they want to kill him. And so here's what Jesus says. Let's do it right now. He's calling them out. I kind of like that. In today's vernacular, he'd say, let's go. Come on. And man, I think it's freaking them out. And then he says, you snakes, you brood of vipers. Huh. Didn't someone else call them snakes and brood of vipers? I think if you go back and you read Matthew chapter 3, there's this guy, John. Use the same terminology. And hey, when you're calling someone a snake and a brood of vipers, man, that's not good. That's not flattering terms. I don't know about you guys, but I think snakes are creepy. Like, I don't like snakes. I don't like to be around snakes. I don't, I don't like to see snakes. I don't like to, you know, yeah. I mean, a few people, I, I have some friends, want, they want snakes around them. I just think that's weird. Snakes are gross. We killed a big rattlesnake once when we lived out in a canyon and, and uh, cut off the rattles and kept them. My wife, my sweet, dear wife. I would be out in the garage doing something and she'd come up behind me with those rattles and go, and I would jump and she'd go, oh, sorry. And she kept doing that. I'm thinking, you're supposed to be, you're, what are you doing? I finally threw them away. I finally got smart enough to get, you know, to get rid of those things and do it. But man, snakes just like creep me out. And so, hey, here's what Jesus is calling them, a brood of vipers. And vipers were the worst of the snakes, right? And he goes, you're not going to escape the condemnation. And then, then he lays it on them. Look at verse 34. Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Do you hear what Jesus just said? Listen, he's saying, I'm gonna send you guys. Now, I gotta be thinking the 12 are standing there. And he says, I'm going to send you guys. We, I think they already know they're kind of chosen, right? I'm going to send you guys. You're going to murder them. You're going to crucify them. And you're going to scourge them. That's got to get those 12 thinking, right? Like, I think he's talking about us. And Jesus says, listen, you guys are going to do that because that's what you're going to do. And he says, then all of the righteous blood that's been shed on earth will come down on your head. From Abel, the very first martyr, Right? Remember, Abel took the offering that was right. Cain didn't like it. Cain killed his brother. He says, all the way to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. Zechariah is the last prophet. Now, here's what's interesting. There was a Zechariah right at the end before uh, Judah went into captivity. There was a Zechariah that was a prophet. And a lot of the commentators say he's talking about that guy. Well, that guy's dad was Jehoiada, not Berechiah. And they go, well, it's just different names. 
And I'm going, and yeah, he was killed, but not between the, not between the porch and the altar. And so here's what, and they're going, well, we don't know if Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the prophet that we read, was actually martyred. I think we do know. Jesus just told us. So listen, I think it's that guy. And he says, you're gonna be, you know, you're gonna be guilty of all the blood from the very first martyr that Israel did to the very last, although there's gonna be others that are killed. But all of that blood is gonna be on your head. And then verse 36, he says, assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jesus is letting him know, man, listen, you're bringing it upon yourself. And it's gonna come on this generation I believe when he's saying, and again, you got to understand their language, their heart. When they're talking generation, they're not always just talking 40-year periods. Oftentimes when they say generation, they can be referring to a race or an ethnicity. And here's what he's saying. All of these things are going to come upon you guys because you've disobeyed God. Let me read some of the things that happened right after this. Forty years later, Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was destroyed. 10,000 Jews living in Damascus had their throats slit by Roman soldiers. 200 years after that, a Roman emperor declared that Jews were less than human and should be treated as dogs and they would have no protection from the Roman law. Ferdinand and Isabella, you know who they are? Ferdinand and Isabella, you guys do history, right? Columbus, huh? They're the, they're the people who, who commissioned and financed Columbus, right? Ferdinand and Isabella declared any Jew found in their country would be brought to the, uh, uh, the inquis inquisitors. And then in the Dark Ages, during the, uh, which time the bubonic plague spread throughout Europe, the only ones not to get it were the Jews. So they were thought to be the problem and were slaughtered by the thousands, and then the great crusades, you know, when they did the crusades, the interesting thing, the crusades were to drive out the Muslims, but they would practice on the Jews, going to the Muslims, and they would slaughter Jews. And then the most current for us and largest is the World War II and the Holocaust and six million Jews. Do you hear what Jesus said that right here? This is gonna come on you because of your hearts. They're rejecting the Messiah, and they're pushing him away. Now, he gets all done with that, and I don't think he lost anybody. And here's what we're, how we have to wrap this up, because you need to know something. Jesus didn't fly off the hand, handle in rage. He wasn't angry. He wasn't raging on these guys. I believe he calmly but very firmly stated all of this. I don't think it was with anger. I don't think it was a shaken finger in their face. I think it was real, and I think it was intense, but now listen to what he says in verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Do you hear what Jesus is? Man, I just wanted to grab you up, but you refused. You pushed me away. You know, this verse blows Calvinist minds. I love, I love when I read some of the guys that are stuck in systematic theologies and they're going, well, Jesus didn't really mean that. I think he really meant that. He goes, I wanted to gather you, but you were not willing. Hey, we have this thing called the sovereignty of God that I 100% believe in, but we also have this thing called a will that we do and choices that we make. And every choice we make is valid, 
is real, and somehow it lines up with God's sovereignty, and I don't know how that works. People ask me all the time, how does that work? I don't know. When you get to heaven, maybe God will reveal that to you. But here's what I know. Jesus is saying he wanted to do it, and they were unwilling for him to do it. There is nobody, nobody alive who wants to be saved but isn't saved because Jesus isn't willing. People are not saved for one reason. They won't come to him, period. Oh, I like the way Spurgeon put it. Spurgeon put it this way. It is the will of God that saves and it is the will of man that damns. Another writer put it this way, bottom line is that the ruin of those who are lost is not because Christ was not willing to save them nor because they wanted to be saved but could not. They're they're in ruin because they would not come to Christ. And so Jesus, I wanted to gather you but you were not willing. And then he says, see, verse 38, your, your house is left to you desolate. Here's an interesting thing. In the beginning of his ministry, he called it his father's house. Now he calls it their house. Same place, temple. And it's going to be destroyed. In 40 years, it's going to be destroyed. It's left to you desolate, verse 39. For I say to you, you shall see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, I love that. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, he's not saying you're never going to see me. Here's what he's saying. You guys aren't going to see me until you change. What's he talking about? At the end of the tribulation, when he comes and he puts his foot on the Mount of Olives, then they're going to cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hey, the people already cried that out and everybody rejected it. But Jesus is saying, I'm coming back for you guys. Here's the thing. I didn't come to set up my kingdom right now. I came to build my church and I'm going to build my church. And as I build my church, you need to know something. It's going to expand throughout the world and the Gentiles are going to be part of that. But when I'm done building my church, when my church is finished, I'm going to take it up to heaven. And then I'm going to come back and deal with you again. And you're going to go through those seven years of judgment until you are finally at that place where you want to cry out and cry, uh, to, uh, and cry out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is coming back. You know, you and I need to know, and I hope you know this, God is not done with the Jews. It bugs me when people say that. He's not done. You know, there's three things that God tells us he doesn't want us to be ignorant of. Number one, his work with the Jewish nation. Number two, the gifts of the Spirit. Number three, the rapture of the church. And what are the things we're the most ignorant and we fight about? Those things. I'm thinking, God very explicitly, let me, let me read some verses to you. Romans chapter 11. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. He says, hey, it's just temporary until the fullness of the Gentiles. What is he telling us? I know I say this, and I believe it with all my heart. I believe there's a certain number of Gentiles that need to be saved. And I believe I'm talking mostly to Gentiles. If you're a Gentile here today, and you do not know Jesus, you could be the one holding us up. (laughs) I'm just letting you know. And you know what? Maybe today, if you will pray and accept the Lord, maybe right when you do that, Poof, we're all out of here. Hallelujah, huh? But it's, it's on you. I'm just putting the pressure on you. 
if you're sitting here today. He says, until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. But he says, listen, I don't want you to be ignorant. This, I'm not done with the Jews. Verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. What is one of the things the church fights the most about? Are the gifts for today or not? And And I'm thinking, what? God says, I don't want you to be ignorant. He spelled it out in his word. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Yes, you sorrow as those who have no hope, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Here's what he's saying. I don't want you to be ignorant about those who died. He says, Jesus is going to bring them when he comes, and we're going to go up and meet him in the air. Hallelujah, huh? If you will get saved today, whoever you is out there, because you're holding us up. So, hey, he's saying, man, that's going to happen. Don't be ignorant. And yet we fight, and we're ignorant about those things. Pretty heavy stuff, huh? So Jesus is very concerned about false teachers and false teaching, but listen to the heart of the end of it. He doesn't, want, he doesn't want us just to beat on those people. Here's what he wants. He wants those people to get saved. We should be praying. We should be praying desperately for those. And then the last thing, man, saints, let's don't be people who major on the minors. Let's, let's not worry about that stuff. But let's be people who major on the majors. Hey, to me, you pick on the person and work of Jesus Christ, that's serious. For this one reason, I know I'm not good enough to get to heaven. I know that. And if Jesus isn't who he said he was, and if Jesus didn't do what he said he did, I'm in serious trouble. And so I am going to defend that with every breath I have because that's my hope. Let's stand up and pray.